Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is our great pleasure to host Katie Jane Bailey. Welcome, Katie Jane. Thank you. And we also have one of my favorite co-hosts, Sean Day Person. Welcome, Sean Day. Thanks, Jeremy. Good to be here. Katie Jane is a senior enterprise account executive at Figma, and they are a browser-based digital design platform that you can use to design lots of things. We, we actually use them to design our web pages and concepts, but as Katie Jane was telling me, you could design your living room with it too. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, because you sounds like you're a reader also, Katie Jane, we'll start out getting to know you by asking you about a favorite book. And as you think about that, just to frame for the audience, our theme for today is, as you can tell from Katie Jane's title, we want to talk about what it takes to become a great account executive because she was recommended to us as a top rep. All right, let's get into books. What is your favorite, doesn't have to be a sales book, but sales books preferred favorite sales book of all time? Yeah, definitely. So I actually have an unconventional background for sales. So I actually started my career in musical theater, which is a lesser known fact about me. But my favorite sales book is Spin Selling, which is, first of all, just a great book. But um, one of the reasons I loved it was making the transition from musical theater in New York City to tech in San Francisco. I remember looking for answers around what are the tactics I can deploy. And I felt like spin selling uncovered that for me and then opened up a whole new avenue. And so I love spin selling. It's on my desk. I look at it multiple times a week. That's my favorite sales book. <laughs> does, does the situation problem implication need, does that run through your head as a script as you're talking to customers and prospects? It changes my calls because if that is my visual cue for how I'm conducting a conversation with someone, it allows me to empathize better. It allows me to help uncover the reasons of why they're going to buy, right? So the situational being like, how many designers do you have? Pain being, when's the last time you tried to share a clickable prototype with your CEO? And then impact, if your CEO could have better insight into that, how would that change the work you're doing? It's just so simple. And it, it allows you to connect where you're having a conversation, but you're also selling. <laughs> A lot of folks who follow sales methodologies have trouble, at least in the beginning, trying to turn it into a conversation. So the, the bullet points are there, but how do you make it so that it's not choppy? How do you make it so that it flows really well? Yeah. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why people don't adopt sales methodologies is because it feels like that's not possible. If you see it as helpful, then you will like having a sales methodology, but if you see it as being restrictive, then you will hate it. I've worked pretty hard to create something that based on like a lot of different criteria and everything that I feel like it's helping me. And so then I'm incentivized to actually use it. And then what I love about it is when you have a consistent terminology, you have a consistent way you approach calls, then feedback becomes so much more straightforward as well, right? Like you take all the subjective possible responses about feedback and you make it so clear like, oh, you did not uncover a critical event. You have to set yourself up in that capacity and that's kind of hard to do. I could talk sales methodology all day, but hold on a second. You were in musical theater in New York before you became a salesperson. I, I just, I'm just thinking if I'm a listener, I, I just can't let that go. What are some of the lessons you learned in musical theater that are applicable in the sales world? 
Yeah, for sure. So um, when you're a professional actor, your job is auditioning and vacation is performing. Even when you're on a gig, when that gig is done, you are back to square one. And you're at an audition with 500 other women who look exactly like you singing the same exact song. And it's a really grueling job. When you're auditioning, you walk into a room, you pitch a product, you hear no, and you do that again every single day. Can you overcome the no? Is there objection handling or that's it? Once you hear the no, you're you're kind of, you try to keep your head up and you walk out. You have zero leverage. Like you've got nothing. There's so much parallel there, right? Like it really prepares you as a salesperson. And then also one thing about the sales context is you got to have grit. You have to be able to improvise, right? You have to be able to think quick on your feet. You have to be a really good listener. And then the lastly is high risk, high reward, right? And I think in sales, you have to be willing to take risks to get the bigger deals, put yourself out there, all these things. And so my favorite deals I've worked on are the riskiest deals where you're really pushing your champion and you're like, we could lose this tomorrow, but if we win, it's going to be legit. You know, all of those things really set you up for success in sales when you're coming from musical theater. Here you are doing musical theater and lo and behold, you go and join a, I presume Parsley is, is a tech company. You get into tech sales. Why? <laughs> yeah. When I was in theater, I basically, so I loved it. As I continued living the life of an actor, I found that I didn't want that life forever. There's a natural grieving process of giving up that life. And one of the big hurdles is if I am not singing and dancing, what am I going to do? That was a really pivotal transition for me, which was take as many personality tests, talk to as many people as I possibly can. <laughs> and I started exploring jobs. So I'd be like, Shonda, what, what is your job? What do you do? What's, what's your day to day? How did you get into it? I talked to a lot of salespeople. Um, then I applied for, it was like a sales assistant job at Twitter way back in the day. And this manager, he called me personally a little ways into the interview. And he was like, I don't think that you're right for this exact job, but I think you could do very well in sales. So I think you should go get a BDR job somewhere and like, just go get some at-bats. And so I then started exploring sales and my resume was so funny. It was like musical theater, nanny and front desk associate at the age of like 27, which is terrifying. I went to AngelList and I said, okay, I think I can do this, but I'm not entirely sure if I can. So I'm just going to try. And I basically just started applying places and I got three phone calls and I got all three jobs and I picked Parsley based on the incredible people. And even on my first elevator ride up to the office, I, I asked myself, can I actually do this or did I just convince them that I can do this? <laughs> and in a way, that's kind of like sales as I, I sold my way into my first job. And it was within a couple of weeks of my first job that I was hooked. I was super into it. And I also recognized, oh, yeah, I have what it takes to do this. And I think I found something that I really like as well. This is really interesting and very top of mind for me right now. So for those who don't know, I recently moved from sales into engineering. Before I was in sales, I was a teacher. I had started to get a master's degree in education. And what I had to do for my interview in sales is to do a presentation on why I was a good fit, like my history, my education, kind of like a resume, but a presentation mode. And the twist that I put on it was instead of putting my resume as like, Shonday worked at 
this uh, educational institution and did this, did this, did this. I just listed out the skills that I had built that aligned with the sales role. So problem solving or able to manage a number of personalities all at one time. I think it's crucial in switching careers to be able to figure out how the unique skills that you have align to the role that you're doing. So for those other folks who are looking to switch careers and get into sales, what advice would you have for them in making that pivot? You know, besides like looking at personality tests, what kinds of things should they be doing, looking out for to make themselves have the best opportunity to get that that ideal job in sales? Yeah. I feel like I wish I could just rewind everything you said just now and be like, that's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, that's incredible. Do you find that sales has a lot of teaching aspects to it as well? Absolutely. Right. And I would say like performing too. And I feel like both in teaching and in sales and in theater, obviously you're doing some level of performing, right? I was recently having a conversation about introverts versus extroverts. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I was in sales, but I never would consider myself an extrovert. It's just kind of like when the cameras, the Zoom camera's on or when the customer's there, I'm on. I really love helping people who are not in sales yet that have a non-traditional background to get into sales. I've helped a handful of people do it now. And I think what I find is literally exactly what you just said, which is think of the experience you have and how it does translate to sales and present yourself in that way. For example, a friend who just made the switch from fundraising to sales, doing like nonprofit donor work. I mean, that's sales in a different package, right? Like you're soliciting donations rather than closing a deal. How do you then say, you know, I've carried a quota for 10 years. It just happens to be a goal that I'm I'm responsible for in fundraising rather than like a quota that is like carrying a book of accounts. For people who are wanting to get into sales, Think about the work you do now and reach out to someone who's in sales and say, what is your day-to-day? What do you do? What are the things that make you successful? Think about how your work now translates in that way. And then crafting your story of here's why I can be successful. Here's evidence of what I've done previously and make it easy for the recruiter. You know, like use the language of whatever sales job you're going for, translate it in that way for them. I think it's all about your story, right? It's all about how you present yourself. As a tip for people who are interviewing and switching careers, we've actually done the research on this, and I, I learned it actually from a person I used to work with, Aaliyah Hamason. She had basically discovered that the career switchers actually make the best BDRs and ultimately make the best salespeople. And fortunately, a, a good supply of teachers who go into sales, so that that persona is is a fantastic one. The other one that's fantastic is recruiters. So if you're working at an agency, like you, you've cut your teeth. You've dealt with the rejection. You're also selling. So you're at Parsley, and I would presume you're sort of looking around and you spot one or two people who are absolutely the top sellers year after year. And, and you know, a lot of people go into BDR roles. They're only there for a period of time. You spent almost four years there. So you had a good chance to observe some top sellers. Tell me about what made one of those top sellers special there. Yeah, we had this guy who um, he's just an incredible seller. No matter what the challenges were, he somehow navigated and closed the largest deals every single quarter. And I studied him from afar, trying to figure out what does he do that I can replicate? He just has this incredible way with people that you feel like you are actually his best friend. (laughs) That was his secret power, being able to pull someone in where they have this relationship where they can trust you, they can open up, they can 
present the opportunities. He could then ask the hard questions. He could, you know, negotiate better. Funny, I have found that I, if I have to almost classify my style of sales, I almost think of myself as hosting my prospects and my clients. So welcome into Figma's front door. How can we get you a drink? Like, who are you? Where are you from? You know, I get to know the person. And I really think I got that from Carla. That was his name. That was something that he did. That was just incredible. We, we all sort of know that the ability to build trust and rapport is an important skill. The devil's in the details of how. So you may not know exactly how Carla did it, but yours is obviously partly mindset is to have that host host or hostess mindset. What else helps you build true, genuine trust and rapport? Can you fake it till you make it? Oh, absolutely. Trust and rapport is built in so many different ways. And, you know, Shonda, what you were saying, in order to be good at sales, you are you have to be extroverted. But that's just not the case. In fact, I would even say the people who are more introverted are probably more successful. We have a, a woman on our team. Her name's Tahira, and she's incredible with her deals. We have a totally different style. I'm much more like colorful and who are you? What's going on? You know, that kind of thing. And she is much more quiet, much more reserved. But her customers, they have this like cemented trust working with her. And so building trust comes in so many different forms that fake it till you make it is is not even maybe the right way to frame it. But what is your way of building trust? You know, are you always responding with right after the call? Are you following up on what you say you're going to do? Are you setting the next steps and the next next steps? Are you advocating for your clients internally? Are you finding connections for them? They didn't even know that they needed. You know, so there's so many different ways to build trust. What tactics, or lack of a better term, are going to build trust with them specifically? You mentioned Tahira also, and uh, and she's uh, I guess there at Figma with you. And you said she's in- incredible but quiet. What is her secret superpower? Like Carlos was was trust and rapport. What's her secret superpower? Yes, Tahira's superpower. So in improv, there's the concept of yes and. So and if you're you know doing a scene with someone, and Tahira has this incredible way of saying yes and rather than no to her customers, it empowers them, and she's almost able to like guide them, right? So she's looking for ways to provide what they're coming to us asking for, but she's also defending what Figma is able to provide in a way that is not a ton of friction. Um, but she's also able to introduce friction when, and tension when she needs to. So I think that is probably Tahira's superpower is being able to say yes and rather than no. I love that. What would you say your superpowers are if you had to pick maybe the top two off of the list? Yeah, I would say my top two superpowers are like fearless with my question asking. So being able to ask the hard questions, being able to have the difficult conversations. Sometimes in sales, I feel like we don't want to make our prospects uncomfortable. That can be hard, but sometimes you have to be a little bit uncomfortable to get something done, right? And to get something across or to get to that decision maker or something. So I am comfortable asking all questions. And then also, I think my other superpower is that like, because I'm like a host in a way, people think that I'm not going to then hold the line when it's something that is, they think I'm just going to say yes to everything. And so I'm able to be both like warm and welcoming, but also say, unfortunately, no, we're not able to do that. And this is where we draw the line, you know, so kind of balancing out that very accommodating approach, but also being able to hold the line when you know you need to hold the line. 
we're about to wrap up and I'm going to ask you a sort of a curveball question. So not about musical theater and not about, uh, well, it's about selling, which is you know, we're always on the lookout for creative new ways to help salespeople more, be more productive. So as you think about your own life, whether it's prospecting, managing opportunities, you know, if, if a VC came and gave you a big pile of money and said, uh, you can build whatever you want, can't put out, produce a show, but you can build whatever you want. It has to be in sales and revenue tech. What would you want to build to sort of lower the routine inefficiencies that exist in your life? Well, there's so many ways to answer that question, right? Because you have your own challenges in scaling a sales org that you want to build to solve for those challenges, right? So Figma is in a hyper growth, hyper scaling. It is a crazy time. I think that sales is so much more of a craft than anyone acknowledges. So a lot of people see sales as either they have to do this in order to go to management or they didn't know what else to do. Or, you know, they think that people who perform the best are just, they just have the best territory. You know, I don't think any of that is true. (laughs) I think that sales can totally be something that is more scientific, not artistic. So I think it would be cool to have some kind of sales craft trade school or something that was that was cool. How do we change the reputation of sales within a company, within the industry? And I'm speaking to SaaS sales specifically, of course, but how do we encourage people to see it more of a craft rather than whatever else they may see it as? So I would love to explore that kind of idea. Sales methodology, terminology, what do you do to keep your craft alive? How do you what do you do annually to, you know, recertify your craft or things like that? You know, I think of my grandpa who was a doctor who kept his certifications so that he could continue practicing, right? So is there an opportunity like that for sales? And if so, can we get reps that are performing higher, better, leveling up so that there's more career salespeople? I don't know. That's kind of just something I've noodled on a little bit. I love it, actually. It's credentialing and ongoing certification for salespeople, which which, you know, really doesn't exist. And, uh, you know, there's all these predictions, right, that AI is going to take over more and more. I'm very careful with the word always, but (laughs) almost always be room for the sellers who have the highest level skills and able to close enterprise deals in particular. Those jobs may one day require ongoing certification and training. Right. If there's fewer opportunities and the competition is tighter, then you better be good at your craft in order to keep your job. And I think there's an opportunity for that. Well, such a, a blast having you on, learning from you about sales, learning from you about musical theater. <laughs> what, what a good time. So thanks for being on. If people do want to learn more, it sounds like you guys are hiring aggressively at Figma. Yep. If people want to learn more about Figma, maybe get in touch with you to switch careers from musical theater or teaching into, into sales. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Katie Jane Bailey. And then, yeah, if you're interested in talking about career switching, always happy to do that. If you're interested in Figma, always happy to do that. And yeah, that's, that's probably the best way. Thanks for being on, Katie Jane. Thanks for having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. Mm-hmm.